The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Counter, post-Super Bowl edition. Uh, we've had some time to try to think about what happened in Super Bowl 55. You sound so broken. Tampa Bay Buccaneers <laughs> win 31 to nine, uh, completely destroying everything that we thought would happen. Uh, just eviscerating it uh, completely. Nothing went to script. Nothing went as we expected. And it really, it wasn't a very, even a very fun football game. It was, uh, I don't know. It felt like maybe a fitting end to the weird pandemic year. I don't know. How, how are you guys feeling about it? At this whatever, point. whatever. Like, I feel I feel nothing after that game. Uh, have you felt anything since twenty eight to three? No. <laughs> <laughs> like, I feel the same way about Super Bowl fifty, which was like a different type of loss, but just as deflating as a Panthers fan. Like, I've never been so confident in the Panthers winning a football game, and this game last night like really reminded me of that. Is it because of Mike Remmers? Is that why? Well, yeah, he played a big role in both of those games. And, like, just everything going wrong. It wasn't even just that the offensive line was bad for the Chiefs. Like, the receivers forgot how to catch the ball, although they were some, like, tough contested catches. But they were hitting them in the hands. And, like, that just reminds me of that that Panthers loss where they – Pick the worst time to play their worst game of the season, and I don't think Cam Newton played a bad game in that in that one. But his stat line looked bad, like Mahomes. But he was playing one on eleven, so there's not much else you can ask. Uh, I'm Chris Gore, and I'm joined by Stephen Ruiz and Charles. Charles is the deflated Falcons fan. I don't. I, I, I hope you'll recover. You didn't even have to bring up twenty eight to three, Stephen. Yeah, 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 I did. True. I, I mean, I haven't. I've felt dead inside since then. I mean, seeing Brady win his seventh ring is like whatever. Like, yeah. Who, who cares? Uh, like, we're gonna we're gonna get into the Brady story. Uh, we're also gonna talk about why Mahomes had, uh, you know, by most measures, his worst the worst game of his career. Uh, we'll dig in on how uh, the Bucks took away Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. That was a, a storyline that we looked at pretty closely and tried to figure out what their plan would be. And they, they came up with a plan to their credit, and it worked. Um, also, need to talk about the job Byron Leftwich has done, both with this particular game plan, but also sort of quietly morphing the Bucks offense in a way to, that, that made it work for two stubborn guys. Uh, Tom Brady, who's very exacting in what he wants, and Bruce Arians, who's always sort of done the same thing. Left was just the guy in the middle, and uh, talked about his influence. Uh, also, I'm going to take a look at the Chiefs. I think we all sort of thought that this Chiefs team was the next dynasty and was on the precipice of being in or around the Super Bowl for years to come, and maybe there's some reason to question that after Super Bowl 55. And finally, we'll look ahead to next year, early thoughts on who the favorites will be for next season's Super Bowl. Um, but let's let's start where the conversation is. And uh, this is sort of what happens with football, but Tom Brady is the, uh, I guess, did he win MVP? That happened, right? Like, uh, he, he just 
you know, like barely did anything and ended up being the MVP. I had to look uh, up who won MVP. I didn't even realize it last I, night. He did. He did. Andy Nesbitt, our Andy Nesbitt, correctly wrote that, like, many, many, many other players should have done it. Uh, Tom Brady turned in, like, a very uh, <laughs> sort of, like, replacement-level QB performance in an almost perfect environment wherein he was not pressured and he was throwing to really good receivers who were operating a well-thought-out scheme that took advantage of where the Chiefs were weak. Um, but, you know, Tom Brady is doing things that are unprecedented. This is his seventh Super Bowl win. No NFL franchise has seven Super Bowl wins. Uh, does this do anything for you guys to change your overall perception of Tom Brady? Does this move the needle at all? No. Why, yeah. why, no. Why should it? Uh, like he, he, like the offensive line played like savages. Uh, Brian Byron Leftwich called a great game, and he just kind of picked up the easy pieces where they were. Uh, I, I don't really see how this could change your opinion of Tom Brady unless you're just someone who sits down and watch first take all day, and you just live, you constantly live prisoner of the moment. But that that game did nothing for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean. It- any comparison to Mahomes, who I think everyone agrees is the most talented quarterback we've ever seen, it like that game. I mean, I really think it speaks to the luck Brady has had throughout his career. He's a great quarterback, a great player, but the f- the fact that we all consider him the goat, other than longevity, of course, is the fact that he's winning these games, and he just had so much has had to go right for him to win as many Super Bowls as he did, and. He, I don't think he was the better quarterback last night, and it didn't matter. They still won by 22 points. Yeah, I mean, uh, this is sort of what the Bucks brought Tom Brady in for, right? Like a very steadying hand, uh, just sort of a guy. Uh, now, he was not always steady all season long. He had his, his periods, and even in the playoffs, there were times where he looked like he would cost his team the game. Um but they ended up pulling it out, and he did not have any of those mistakes last night. I mean, he, he was good. I mean, 21 for 29, I think, uh, and just sort of did what was asked of him. Uh, you know, I think the obvious thing to think about is, like, what does this team look like with Jameis Winston? And it's probably just more high variable, and it ended up being that this defense was good enough to get Tampa Bay through this season uh, and we'll talk about you know i don't know if tampa bay's defense looked is is actually nearly as good as it looked last night uh because the chiefs were playing so undermanned on the offensive line but brady you know he ended up with a a negative 3.1 expected completion percentage uh so you know he was not <laughs> he was not really elevating his team's play by by most of the standards that we've seen um this is sort of what they brought him in for. Uh, do you think I, I, I've asked this question before? Um, and so I think I know what your answers are, but how, how much of the mental part of it, you know, I think the Tampa Bay ownership group right after said, like, we, we knew we needed a guy who knew how to get to the Super Bowl and lead us there. And we found him in Tom Brady. Like do, does that spread through a team? Is that what happened here? I, who knows? I, he threw three interceptions last week. Or two weeks ago. I don't really get that narrative. I think they were just a talented team and they were being held back by 
a high variance quarterback who threw a lot of interceptions and took a lot of sacks. I think that was the big difference is I do, I do think Tom Brady made a difference for them, a big difference, but it wasn't because of some like aura that he brought to Tampa Bay. He didn't like give Levante David powers that he didn't have before. Like, <laughs> everyone just played well. And I, I mean, I, I don't know. I like, I, it probably matters, and maybe the and the Bucks players are probably going to say, "Yeah, like he changed the culture," but I I don't buy that. But he did he did make a difference just because of how he plays. Yeah, it's uh, it's actually Tom Brady. That's the reason why Levante David could cover Travis Kelsey this time around. But the first game, that wasn't Tom Brady's. <laughs> Levante was David Schwartz. But this time, Tom Brady's magical presence made everything better. But he he hadn't had enough time to uh, text Levante there. He, you know, I don't know if you saw that story that uh, apparently leading up to the game, Brady was texting his teammates, "We will win." And uh, you know, this sort of stuff. <laughs> there, there it is. That's it, right? That's it, right that's there. Leadership. Yeah, I, I, uh, I text you guys in the morning. We will write, and uh, it always works. You guys end up writing. So amazing. Um, I'm a leader like Tom Brady, definitely. Uh, let's uh, let's move to the storyline that has a little bit more uh, grist to it. Something a little bit more interesting here is is Patrick Mahomes uh, and. Stephen has been engaging in some lively Twitter conversations around this topic this morning. And uh, even like we're right after the game last night, people were predicting that this would be the discussion this morning. It's, uh, you know, how much uh, people would blame Patrick Mahomes for his performance and start to nitpick it. And we would have that sort of narrative come out where this guy who's been hyped all season is falling, falling back down uh, to earth and, uh, you know, we were all wrong for anointing him too early. And, you know, we're, we're in that phase, right? We're, we're there. But let's let's back up a little bit. And this is what Charles wrote immediately after the game and discuss just how difficult Patrick Mahomes' job was last night against the Bucks. He is playing behind a, a totally restructured offensive line. And the, the Eric Fisher um, departure was it's interesting to think about it now because when it happened in the middle of the FC championship game, it almost like it's almost like people ignored it a little bit. It was, you know, it was half like the chiefs were going ahead and uh, we saw players going over to Fisher and uh, you, you know, sort of trying to help him through. He, he was clearly understood that he was not going to be able to play. Uh, but the moment sort of passed because the Chiefs just looked like such a juggernaut. And we talked about it all week. And uh, <clears throat> it, we, we thought Mahomes is a guy who can who can make this work. And, man, almost from the beginning of the game, that turned out to not be true. Uh, Remmers, Mike Remmers, who we mentioned earlier, he was he was actually right tackle for the Panthers, right, Stephen? Yeah. And right they tackle. just lined up. They lined up on Miller across from him, and Miller destroyed him in Super Bowl 50. Uh, Remmers does not have great memories of playing in Super Bowls. Um, but he had, to, he had to slide over to left tackle, and, man, it did not go well. Uh, At all. No. And the rest of the line was not much better. Um, where does this, like, I can't remember a big-time NFL game where a quarterback was under more duress than this. I mean, I can't remember. I'm, I'm like, thinking back to college games. I can't remember a game of this significance where there was such uh, 
such a disparity in play uh, that, that yeah, I mean, the offensive line just looked overmatched. Yeah, it was crazy. Like I, we know that like the Bucks defensive line is good, but they were out there looking like the fearsome foursome uh, right. against the Chiefs. And you know, it, it wasn't just that the Chiefs were outmatched up front in terms of talent, because obviously, where I mean, like you said, like there there were snaps where. They had freaking Vita Vea as an edge rusher, and he was just bulldozing Mike Remmers into the pocket. And Vita Vea is a good player, but, like, you know, that's not someone that you should be afraid of, like, lining up as a defensive end. And it was just a complete mismatch even there. Uh, Like, the talent was bad, but also just the communication was bad. Like, it it very much looked like a unit that had only been together for a few weeks' time. And then Todd Bowles was just like that. Like, these guys – one, they aren't good. Two, they have no chemistry. Like, let's just come at them. And uh, even on four-man rushes, like, they were doing sim, sim pressures or they were doing games where they were twist defensive linemen and linebackers coming up front, and that just had them completely lost and confused. So uh, it, it, it was just baffling to see, like, professional football players just, one, be, like, be physically and mentally dominated throughout the course of a game. I mean, I, 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 I can't remember – a single occasion where, you know, it, it felt like every pressure number that you see where it says, even stats where it says Mahomes was under pressure, like 30 of his 50-something dropbacks, like that number even felt low compared to what was happening on the screen. It, it was just unbelievable. Yeah, the only thing I can think of, and I'm bringing the game up again, is the Panthers game. I just looked it up, and Cam Newton was pressured on 50% of his dropbacks, and I think Mahomes was even higher. Yeah, 50, I, almost 52%. Just – just no chance. And if if you had watched that game with no prior knowledge of what football was and what the objective of the game was and what and what the score was, I think you would watch that and go and look at Patrick Mahomes and say he was the best football player on the field. Like I, he did things that I no other quarterback in the history of the game is capable of doing, and the passes ended up falling incomplete. But like that throw where he was like parallel to the ground and threw it thirty yards downfield into the red zone or into the end zone and hit, hit I think it was and hit the guy in the face pass. Like that's <laughs> that's the best play I've ever seen. Yeah, it's uh, there were so many times where he was running around and like. I don't even know if you were to list Patrick Mahomes' best traits, like his most incredible skills, like his ability to buy time uh, is probably like fourth or fifth on that list, sixth or seventh. Like, I mean, his brain is incredible. His arm, obviously, talent is beyond anything we've ever seen. Like, it's, it's not, he's just such a complete player. But he's so many times last night, he was running around and you just thought, this is going to be nothing. And he turned and made a throw that, like ended up looking better than like anything Brady had to do from the pocket last night. Like he just somehow found a way to make these throws fit into windows. We have a, we have a post, uh, Stephen and I are actually late last night. We were looking at this chart, uh, from Michael Lopez, who's, uh, sort of a, uh, NFL math guy on Twitter. And he put together a chart of the past that Mahomes and Brady, had to take after getting a shotgun snap. So where they moved on the field before throwing the ball. And Tom Brady's is literally just a couple squiggles. It's just like a, a few lines that basically move in the same direction. Whereas uh, Mahomes has an entire, I mean, he is going all over the field 
he's doubling back on himself. He's he's running forward. He's run, I mean, it, like cannot I cannot I can't find the words to do this chart justice. Uh, we we did post it this morning. Henry McKenna did post on it. This astonishing chart shows why Patrick Mahomes had an impossible job against the Buccaneers. And actually, the the main photo of that is the best photos that I've seen so far of that throw you were talking about, Stephen. Uh, it's insane. Like I. I, I, I want to, Stephen. I don't want you to get injured, but I want somebody to try this. Like, I want, <laughs> I want like a normal human to try to th- like dive and throw the football and see how far they can get it and how close it is to the target. Because I don't believe that anyone else could do uh, as well as Mahomes did. Uh, do you? How much blame do you put on the Chiefs for not taking into account? that the offensive line would be this overmatched. Uh, you know, they, they stayed mo- almost exclusively in five-man protection, something like 92 93%. Uh, I mean, it's clear that they thought that this would work and then never really had a backup. I mean, I do think they were chipping some guys, and I don't think next-gen counts those those as pass blockers so right. it's a little misleading but i don't know like what else do you do if you're the if you're the chiefs i think keeping guys in now the the secondary which was playing a lot of zone has fewer receivers to cover and i i think it's not really like a bad decision it's just they didn't really have another choice that's how they play and that's i feel like putting more receivers out there gives you a chance to beat the beat the pass rush too and they just couldn't do it yeah Maybe they got a little overzealous with it, but you, you got to – I just think taking a chance and rolling a dice with my homes in that situation is not a bad strategy. I mean, it's gotten this far. So he's, he's the most talented quarterback that we've ever seen. What did uh, – I mean, obviously the pressure was the number one factor here uh, in this game. But what did the Bucks do to take away – Hill and Kelsey because we've seen other games where Mahomes is under pressure but steps out and, and immediately has those guys open because that pressure uh, you know was either generated by bringing extra people or Mahomes sort of extending the play allowed those guys to find soft spots and get open uh, wh- how did the Bucks take that away I think one thing was they were physical with Kelsey and Kelsey did not react well and I think that's like a fair criticism of his game. He's he's a, a matchup problem because he runs like a receiver. He's not a matchup problem in the same way that Gronk is, where if right. you put a corner on Gronk, Gronk's going to bully the hell out of him. But if you put Carlton Davis on on Kelsey and ask him to jam him, he's going to be able to do it. And it, I think that's what the Bucks' plan was, just get physical with Kelsey and double Tyreek Hill over the top, and that's what happened. Yeah, and it's like that disruption paired – with the amount of pressure that they were able to get, just kind of completely disjoints the, the offense. It, it's so weird because, you know, at the end of the game, Kelsey ended up finishing with 10 catches for 133 yards, and it's just like, man, like, it didn't even feel like he played all that well. Because there was the first uh, – I remember because early in the game, these are the first, second quarter, the Chiefs are a third and eight near their own end zone, and yeah. Mahomes just makes, you know, one of the 50 million incredible throws that he made. Uh, during the game, just evade two pass rushes in the pocket, falling down. There's a, a laser across the field, uh, and it hits Kelsey in the hand and just drops it. Uh, and it felt like I, – I don't know if, if the, the physicality got to Kelsey, but 
it, it seemed like he was really only catching passes when it was wide open in the middle field. And he like found a yes. way to zone, and he does you know that the the classic little catch, pivot, reverse, run for you know seventy four yeah. yards and figure it out. But uh, yeah, it was just kind of a weird game from him. Like it, I, I was kind of surprised to see at the end that he had caught so many passes, for so many yards, but uh, it, it didn't feel like he was actually helping the Chiefs' offense all that much. Yeah, it's, it seemed like he had a tr- trouble dealing with the difference between defenders because he had, like you said, like Davis could run with him pretty easily. And then uh, he had other times he had linebackers on him and they were even more physical. And it didn't seem like he really adjusted to what coverages they were giving him. Uh, yeah. And th- that play that Chuck brought up the drop. What's funny to me is uh, you remember uh, there was a play early in the first half. I think Brady threw it to Antonio Brown and like everyone on Twitter was like, Oh, it's crazy that Tom Brady can do this at 43 years old. Meanwhile, like Patrick Mahomes is falling down and throws the same exact throw and hits Kelsey right in the hands. It's amazing that Patrick Mahomes did that. And he's a human being and not like a robot that was designed to throw footballs. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think one of the things that, that, that the Kelsey stuff and how they are Jan him kind of showed is that even a team that, like the the Chiefs, they're they're more equipped than any other team that I can think of, like ever to play kind of that backyard style football. Where uh, if things go wrong, then you know Mahomes can just kind of run around and figure out something to Kelsey or Hill. But you know, you that can't be your base offense, and they were kind of forced into that. Like even a, a team that can Applin as well as the Chiefs, they still need like some semblance of timing and structure, and that just was not there for them at all throughout the game. I do think this game is like is going to force us to revisit the whole coverage versus pass rush thing this offseason. Oh, oh. And it's kind of like I was a big coverage is more important guy like two years ago. But last year when I wrote the series on on pressure and, and all that, like that really opened my eyes. And you saw it in this game. If you could win with four, it makes coverage so much easier. Like I don't – the Bucks don't have this like – great secondary like it's a lot of like good players who can carry out a, a, a role but it's not like the Patriots cornerback room where you could just put Stefan Gilmore on someone and put JC Jackson on someone they're going to lock him down like they had to work in tandem and they had to do all this matching stuff to really defend all the stuff that the Chiefs have done all year but the only reason they could do that is because they didn't have to send an extra rusher to to get after Mahomes and I think that's the one thing that maybe the nerds overlooked when they were doing this study is like yeah. the pass well, rush makes your coverage job so much easier. Right. Well, the question is what is rep- replicable, right? Like, cause this, the, I don't think any of us think the Bucks pass rush is like good enough that if this were, if like if Eric Fisher plays this game, how do you think it played? Like, would that have been the difference? Well, it helps certainly. Yeah. I, I mean, it's like, because we all came into this not thinking that the Bucks would be able to do this, uh, so it's it's sort of a question of like that defensive line. Like you guys, I mean, it looked like the best defensive line in the league easily, and I think it's probably not that. It's uh, you know, but we have seen we have seen Mahomes have trouble against like the Chargers who could do that, and the 49ers did it a little bit early in last year's Super Bowl, um, but. That debate's never going to die, right? <laughs> Bass no, no. It's just going to go pendulum, you know, back and forth. Uh, but 
I just wonder how much of it is that the Chiefs just really were so depleted at one one spot. Uh, Stephen, the, uh, I, I referenced the discussion that you are, the lively discussion you're having uh, related to Mahomes's uh, time to throw. Uh, there's this insinuation going around Twitter that he asked too much of his offensive line. But, it, I mean, the, that's – that's sort of some bare numbers. Anyone who watched the game know that like he was extending plays because he had to almost immediately. Right. I mean, that's, that was my read. I know you're, you're like halfway through a second watching of the game. I went through a bunch of clips and it, it just like, I'm not sure that that number means what we think it means in the context of how this game actually played out. Yeah. I, <laughs> I know what the numbers are saying, but, yeah, the numbers are saying, to be clear, the numbers are saying that Mahomes took, like, more time than any quarterback this year to throw the ball. And, like, that's a bad thing, that he wasn't playing in rhythm. He wasn't getting the ball out. He was asking that too much. He was making the offensive line's job harder. And right. I totally disagree <laughs> with that. I think if it's any other quarterback, like, put Tom Brady behind that offensive line. And going up against that Bucks defense, which was being physical, like we said, and disrupting routes – there's nothing a quarterback can do in that situation besides buy time or take a sack. And Mahomes, the reason his time to throw was so high was because he was able to extend the plays. And the reason why his expected completion uh, percentage was so high was because he was able to actually buy time to find space and throw it to a receiver who was relatively open downfield. Right. No other quarterback makes that game viable. No one else in the history of the NFL makes that game look as it as good as it looked, and it didn't look good at all. But any other quarterback, it's a disaster. Yep. I don't know. I mean, I like this is the one thing that kind of irks you, irks me about the nerds is they'll accuse football guys and film watchers of being stubborn and not and like not looking at evidence and not accepting it. Like, how do you watch that game? Why are you even looking for numbers to figure to quantify how bad the Chiefs pass rush is? Just be like, oh, yeah, that was terrible. Then that's the reason they lost. There's no reason to put a number on it. We all saw it. We all saw what happened. <laughs> Just open your eyes. It's right there. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I'm just like at a loss for words. Uh, yeah, I was looking at things. I don't even think I mentioned this earlier, but uh, Mahomes – his the distance traveled for that uh, that Michael Lopez chart. So how how many yards he ran uh, while trying to evade uh, pass rushers? Four hundred sixty eight. Four hundred sixty eight. Next gen stats has uh, a total of four hundred ninety seven yards before his passes at sacks tonight. So they probably took into account uh, Lopez's were just shotgun snaps. Uh, this this one's probably that it was. All snaps. Uh, Five. I mean, he ran almost 500 yards, five football field lengths while trying to get away from pass rushers. That's insane. Tom Brady ran 37. 37 on 29. (laughs) uh, What do you have? 29 dropbacks. So he had to move an an average of 1.2 yards each time he dropped back, and then he just threw the ball. Um, that's that's, like, that's, they, that's they some real time next gen stats from from Chris Gorman there. They were yeah, they were playing they were playing uh, totally different sports. Like they, like they were. I mean, it was uh, they were being asked to do completely different things. 
What did uh, Byron Leftwich do to make this offense work? Uh, you, you know, like we, we opened the show by saying that Brady, I, like he won the MVP, but he had a really, really easy job. He was in a position where he just sort of had to do the things that he can do pretty well. And he didn't have to stress himself. It helped that the Bucks got an early lead. Uh, and that, that really dictated this game. Uh, but Brady, yeah, he would, he was asked to do the things he can do. Like we, we say that a lot on the show that that's like the key to football is asking your guys to only do what they're comfortable doing. Uh, and your team's going to sort of fit into place. Uh, how did Byron Leftwich make that happen for this Bucks team? I mean, I thought it was just throwing a bunch of new things at the the Chiefs that they probably hadn't seen from the Bucks on film. And I thought he did a good job of messing with the second level defenders, just different run looks, pulling guards, which as we wrote in the strategy guide, they didn't pull guards at all during the regular season. So you start messing with the, their second level defenders and the, and the Chiefs do a lot of rotation. And so their safeties are coming down, they're rotating right. back. And you, you throw some eye candy on top of that. And I really think it makes it hard for them to know where the ball is going, where, where they should be, what keys they should be reading. And they took advantage of that all game. Yeah. Uh, anything with the run game that you noticed, Charles? I know you were you sort of dove in on their duo runs, and uh, that worked a little bit. Leonard Fournette got going. Um, what did you see there? The duo runs were definitely working last night, and yeah, and it just it, it's just smart when you have backs that are that big because Ronald Jones is not a small back, uh, right? Uh, and obviously, we know how how big Leonard Fournette is, and it, they were just punishing those. Uh, Kansas City defensive backs in the run game. I mean, there were there were plays where Fournette would like get stopped and just be like, "Wait, I'm 40 pounds bigger than you," and just throw guys off. <laughs> uh, and you know, and, and then at, at the end, uh, our buddy Nate Tice pointed out when Fournette had that touchdown that you know essentially iced the game. It felt like right. uh, they ran uh, power with the puller, and Nate pointed out that you know. The, the Bucks really throughout the whole season weren't a team that was pulling anyone on any of the runs. Like they were just kind of straight uh, duo and outside zone, which doesn't have any pullers. And then they bust out that power run for a long touchdown at the end. And that was a nice tendency break. Like when you need to close things out and get that chip, that was a, a kind of a perfect play call to call there, especially against a team that honestly like really, didn't, didn't really stand a chance against defending the run uh, all night. And we knew that that was, kind of the kryptonite and they just pounded it and took, it took full advantage of it. So, uh, yeah, it, it was a little bit of stick with what you know with the duo runs and some of the outside zone stuff. And then when it was time to, to, to actually close the deal, they, they brought tendency breakers. So, yeah, I, I thought from top to bottom, uh, Byron Leffridge called a hell of a game. The offensive line played absolutely lights out. Uh, like it, it, it didn't even seem like, uh, it didn't even seem really like Chris Jones and, and Frank Clark were that much of a factor. I know that Frank Clark had uh, one sack, but Chris Jones was credited with no sacks, no tackle for losses, no quarterback hits. I mean, it, it was kind of just a beat down on, on the trenches on both sides of the ball by the Buccaneers. Yeah, and I would say, like like you mentioned, the Chiefs have had this issue all year with run defense. They've really had it for like three years now. Mm-hmm. But I don't think teams do a great job of – like blending their issues with the run game and like making them transfer over to the pass game. And that's what we saw out of the bucks. Like 
they didn't just run that one play with the pulling guard. Like they ran play action off of it later. They had a pulling guard and then they threw it to uh, Gronk down the middle. And Gronk's first touchdown, they had the little uh, wide zone with the split action by the tight end. And then he goes out for a pass and it's an RPO. It's actually a play that the Bills ran in the AFC Championship game for their first touchdown. So it was very clear that Byron Leftwich and I guess Bruce Arians took advantage of those those two weeks they had to prepare for this one. Yeah. They also dramatically increased their play action rate, right? I mean, they went from, they were one of the lowest teams in the league, maybe 31st, around like 16%, if I remember, during the season. Yeah. And it was up to 43, the highest uh, rate in a game for Brady in the next-gen stats era. Uh, yeah. 10 for 13, 135 yards, three TDs. Uh, yeah, that's that's what I mean by, like, they they made those run issues the Chiefs defense has. They turned those into pass issues, too. And right, I think right. that was the best thing that Leftwich did last night. Yeah. Uh, Bowles was great, too. I mean, this is uh, – I've mentioned this uh, in the video we shot right after the game, but, you know, it feels like we sort of – we, we were very focused on the enemy as we should have been. The fact that Eric the enemy did not get the uh, attention he deserved in the coaching searches, uh, but Bowles and <laughs> Leftwich, man, they did just a terrific job uh, and, and clearly need to be in that discussion. And just in, in the entirety of Bruce Arian staff, like uh, their special team coordinators, black, they have two women on the staff. Like this Arians went out and purposely, you know, he is very open about the fact that he is trying to create a diverse staff and it, works like this is this is like uh, you know this is the proof that if you put put something like this together it can work uh you know hopefully this i i mean i don't you guys have any hope that this will lead to significant change it sounds nothing has changed so far so i i feel pretty cynical about uh, oh, they won the Super Bowl, so this will change minds. That yeah, doesn't seem realistic to me. But <laughs> I thought Byron Leftwich had a, a nice quote about it yesterday, where he was like, "You know, I, it's going to be impossible to ignore that right. you know, a, a staff with two black coordinators and multiple women on on the coaching staff has gotten this far, but that doesn't mean anyone's going to act on it or or change." So, like we we all see it now. It, it's still up to the owners to actually care and make the hires, which. You know, doesn't seem likely uh, just based on everything we've seen up to this point. But, you know, Byron Leftwich and Todd Bowles definitely deserve to have their names in the, the head coaching pool next year. And I, I just think that, you know, like Byron Leftwich, I, I, I just don't think people can talk enough about the job that he did this year because you're basically you, you're dealing with two people who are incredibly stubborn and Bruce Brady, <laughs> and they come from like almost opposite sides of like offensive football philosophy where right. Bruce Arians kind of deep and Tom Brady just kind of wants to take the easy stuff and to make that marriage work and to fit it within the Bucks personnel and to get all of that moving in the right direction is like a really, really difficult thing to do. So hopefully he gets his props uh, next year and gets included in the head coaching search. But yeah, we we still, we still got to see that happen, and based right. on his really NFL, it doesn't seem doesn't seem like something you can just bank on. And one underrated thing is, like, he had a lot of weapons, but it felt like they maximized all those weapons. They got the most out of all those guys. Which I feel like, as offensive coordinator, when you have a receiving core that that's that deep, that is very hard to do. And he did it, and he did it while working in a quarterback he's never worked with before, with no off season. 
it was an amazing job. And to answer your other question, whether this is going to change anything, I would think, I think that would presuppose that this is all merit based, and we know that it isn't. Oh, right. Of course. Otherwise, the hiring practices would already have been affected. But right. yeah, so I don't think anything's going to change. Yeah, should point out that uh, Leftwich is also—he's only forty-one years old. He's younger than Tom Brady by two years, and Arians is older. He's like sixty-eight. I mean, this is like this is a guy finding a way to. Uh, basically mediate between those two and create. And, and like you said, Stephen, like, I, I mean, their offense, uh, wide receivers are, they want the football, you know, like Rob Gronkowski wants the football. Like this, this was a lot to manage. Uh, Antonio Brown, <laughs> like the fact right. that Antonio Brown came in and was a role player and was like not a problem for them. I, I think that's one of the like most impressive coaching feats of the season. And this is not a Adam Gase, Peyton Manning, Broncos situation where, let's be honest, like Peyton Manning was the coach of that team. He, it was his offense. It was the same exact stuff they were running in Indy. That, this was different. This was not New England's offense. There was little bits and pieces of it, which left which added as the season went on. But it was not the same offense. This was Bruce Arians' offense uh, adjusted for Tom Brady and it were and by the end of the season it was the best passing offense in the league. Right. And I mean honestly like we this is that was the thing that we were monitoring from day one when Brady signed with the Bucks. It's like, well wait a minute, this isn't a very natural fit. And then we went through sort of like the oh Arians is gonna stick with what he's doing. Arian does what he does and Brady's excited about that and he wants to show he can do it. And then like we there was it's very publicized that there was the month where like they couldn't do it, and the, the offense was not. And the Bucks did not look great. Uh, and something, you know, something sort of along the way it was very subtle, but it's it left which started bringing it together and making it work. Um, you know, so he really does deserve a ton of credit. Um, and you know, Arians had a quote a couple days ago where he said he was angry that Leftwich didn't get more attention. And you know, like when you have a guy like Nick Sirianni get hired by the the Eagles, uh, like, you know, it's you, you can just like, there is no explanation for any of this. Um, there, other than, you know, just that the systemic racism continues. Uh, you know, you can put end racism on the back of your helmet all you want, but uh, actions are what matter. The NFL just still continues to not. They're giving it, they're giving 250 million. Yeah. 30, yeah, thirty-one billionaires, not including Packers fans. Thirty-one billionaires. It's probably it's probably a huge tax write-off. I mean, there's are giving half of Patrick Mahomes' contract. Yeah, very uh, cool. That'll do it, man. That'll race four hundred years. <laughs> it's gonna end. It's gonna end the racism. <laughs> we bought our way out of it. It's the American way. Uh, let, let's talk about the Chiefs moving forward and um, what this means for this franchise. Uh, I actually, I just had this thought and, um, I, I mean, I think I, Andy Reed had this situation where his son was involved in this, uh, car crash and the details around it are a little sketchy, but there, uh, are two young girls that were taken to the hospital. One, I think remains a critical condition. Uh, this obviously weighed on Andy Reed, um, and Andy Reed's, uh, has his sons have uh, been troubled for much of his career. Uh, I, I mean, that had to weigh on him incredibly last night. Uh, it had to be just a huge factor for him. 
uh, I kind of, I'm just sitting here wondering, like, I wonder if Andy Reid steps aside, you know, like, I wonder, I, I wonder if that's a, a situation right now where that's something being discussed or if he decides to step away for a little bit, um, that's how that storyline will go. I, I think that if, if this had happened like in the middle of the season, maybe, but like since it's at the end of the year and you kind of have some time to figure this out, I, I'm not sure. But I was talking to someone last night during the game and it's just like, how could this not weigh on you? Right. Uh, and how, how could it not affect like your team? And I, I mean, uh, that's, that's not why they right. block anybody right. or uh, defend the run, but it, it's definitely like a, a, a dark cloud that's just – Sitting over your, uh, sitting over your organization, and one thing that bothered me was the way that Nance, like Jim Nance, just kind of, you know, talked about it without talking about the whole story. He was like, "Oh, you know, Britt Reed was involved in a car crash that, uh, you know, has a five-year-old in critical condition, and we're hoping for the best." But you didn't say why. Like you didn't say why they got into the accident. I mean, tell the whole truth. Like he was driving drunk he admitted he was driving drunk and on adderall and uh it, it's just a, a a horrific story that uh that i i don't think that you know these people who are kind of in bed with the nfl wanted to touch in any any meaningful manner and for me it was just like why even bother bringing it up if you're not going to talk about the whole story talk about the dangers of drunk driving and all that stuff like that so right uh, you know that 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 part kind of bothered me, but the whole thing is just what a just what a horrible situation to have just hanging over you as you you try to get ready for uh, the biggest game. And you know, if you're Britt Reed, like, come on, man, like you yeah. you are your dad is the head coach of the team, and it's a billion dollar organization. I mean, I know. I know, like, just from covering the Giants and the Jets, like, any time that you need an Uber or a driver, like, any time of the day, any time of the night, like, 24-7, you can get one sent to you. And I just find it hard to believe that Britt Reed in the position that he's in as Andy Reid couldn't have the same thing happen for him. Like, and we, right. We've all gone out and had too much to drink, but you got to figure out a way to get home that doesn't involve you driving. Right. And Reed already lost one son to addiction, uh, you know, I, I obviously I don't know anything about Britt Reed's situation, um, whether you know he's struggled with the same issues, but uh, which are which are awful and uh, more pervasive than I think most people realize. Right. But, uh, it's just uh, it's, it's just so much hanging over this team. Uh, and uh, what you brought up with the the broadcast, I mean, obviously these broadcast partners are paying tons of money to the NFL. They have to woo the NFL to get those contracts. Like they're going to be uh, overly <laughs> sympathetic to the NFL's point of view. But it was it's uh, everything is heightened during the pandemic, right? And like I, I just couldn't, you know. I think it was Nance who's like, yeah, there were many doubters that we would get to this point, like. I mean, uh, come on. like no one was like it wasn't some challenge for the NFL to overcome. Those of us and uh, included on this podcast were just saying like, well, is this really the best thing to do? Is this the right thing to do? Is this uh, is it worth having football to endanger people's lives? Like, you know, it wasn't it's not some uh, yeah. it's not, uh, like some contest to see who's right about uh, 
how to live life in the middle of a pandemic. Like, this is, so. What an amazing job by the NFL to just persevere and not cancel. <laughs> right. Even they definitely should have canceled a few of them. Yeah, I think like on this podcast, we were saying, yeah, like they shouldn't be playing football, but they're 100 percent going to get through the season because the NFL is just going to, you know, just barrel right. through. We know, that's we exactly what they it. did. <laughs> the Broncos played a game without a quarterback. Like, don't <laughs> celebrate. They didn't. This wasn't like a triumph. Oh, man. everything's a triumph for the NFL. Man. All right. The Chiefs, the, the future of the Chiefs. Um, you brought up a good point, Stephen, as we were like looking at this episode, like. Uh, it was easy all season to be like, wow, the Chiefs, everything about the Chiefs is well put together. Man, what a team. Everything's working. Everything's clicking. Everything's good. And maybe it's not. Maybe uh, Brett Veach, the GM, actually has had some missteps that uh, were exposed in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, when I did my GM rankings in the offseason, I ranked them 10th. And I think people thought that was kind of low just because they were just coming off a of Super Bowl. But. I mean, a lot of the chief stars were already in place before he took over and the work he's done since then, he added Tyron Matthew, which I think is his best move. They drafted LeJarius Sneed, which I think is another good move. But outside of that, it hasn't really been great. Like the trade for Frank Clark was awful. And it, and not only did they trade for him, but they extended him and gave him a massive deal. And he's just been a bust. Uh, drafting a running back in the first round was you know, predictably, it didn't go as well as they planned. Their linebacker they drafted in the second round, I think he might have been hurt. I don't know, but he barely played when he was healthy. It it just hasn't been a great job by Brett Veach, and I think his hardest work is ahead of him. Right. They have, I think it's minus 11, it might be 11.9 million going into the offseason cap space. They have a bunch of free agents, including a bunch of key defenders like Bashad Breeland, I think would be a big loss for them. And I, I think there's no way he comes back. It just hasn't really been a great job by him. And I think it's been covered up by the fact that Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes. But I wouldn't be surprised if in like two years we're talking about how the Chiefs have failed to put enough around Patrick Mahomes, which is kind of funny because the narrative over his first couple of years was like he has this great supporting cast. It didn't look like it in the Super Bowl, though. Right. Uh, how much blame? I mean, should they have been in better position on the offensive line to to withstand those injuries, or was this just such a, a confluence of bad uh, bad news for them? I mean, they had uh, they had an opt out uh, and. Then Osemele, who they signed, they did move to strengthen the offensive line, and Osemele got hurt. Uh, so I, probably not much they could have done there, right? No, but I think there were questions about their other interior spots before the season, okay. before they signed Osemele. So I don't think the offensive line was in the best shape even when it was healthy. Just the health issue just made it even worse. And I like I wouldn't blame that on Veach. I would blame the other stuff and his – poor use of resources, but I think the offensive line was its own thing. All right. Uh, the NFL offseason will be a little bit different than it has been in past years. Uh, there's no combine. The combine always <laughs> comes right. It feels, like it, it feels like it starts right after the Super Bowl. There's generally a few weeks until it kicks off in Indianapolis, but it will not be held this year. So, uh, I don't know where we're going to get our juicy rumors uh, spread at at night um, while 
people are drinking to give us uh, ridiculous draft, uh, you know, draft scenarios that never end up playing out and they end up just being smoke screens. I don't know how that's all going to happen. I guess it'll happen to have, have to happen over te- text message. Um, I, I can't wait for the first, like, anonymous scout to go in on Trevor Lawrence. That's going to be amazing. <laughs> oh, man. There's going to be a take on his hair. I'm just saying. There's going to be a take on his hair. Just get ready for it. Imagine how anonymous you can be if you don't even have to go to India and talk to other people. You can just you can just sit wherever you are and spout your takes. Amazing. <laughs> um, so we won't have that. And then the free agency is, was it March 18th this year? It's a little bit later into March. Uh, it's been pushed back. It was pushed back last year, too. But uh, so we have a little bit of a dead period here where we can sort of think about what just happened and what's going to happen. Uh, but I'm wondering what you guys are seeing as you look at next year. Who are the favorites for the Super Bowl at this point? Like, which seems, I think we're probably still all pretty high on the Chiefs. Um, seems like Brady and Gronk are both coming back for the Bucks, and the Bucks are in a pretty good position. For a team that just won the Super Bowl, they have cap space. They have guys who are going to become free agents, but uh, it seems like maybe they can keep it together. So I think they're going to be up there. Bills, Ravens you know, are, are high on the list. Uh, what are you guys seeing? I mean, I'm a Bucks fan. I'm pretty pumped, right? Yeah. We just won the Super Bowl. We got a pretty young defense that – uh, I mean, the secondary for the Bucks is is all really young. Carlton Davis, Antoine Winfield Jr., uh, Jamel Dean, Sean Murphy Bunting, like they're all in their rookie deals and with a couple of years left to go. So this is a pretty good spot for, like to be in if you're a Bucks fan. Uh, Devin White's still on his rookie deal, so like if you right. want to even add pieces to this defense, like I'm not sure who's out there uh, in free agency, but I, I'm assuming you're probably going to lose Shaq Barrett uh, because right. he's earned a, a big time deal after the last few years he's had I think he's had almost like 30 sacks and obviously he was uh, awesome in the playoffs this year so maybe maybe you can find another edge rusher to, to put in there in the draft but like if you're a Bucks fan how could you not be thrilled about uh, where your team is right now and even like like even if the Bucks like want to get frisky at 32 and just draft a quarterback and say look like we have got what we came for in the Tom Brady era uh Obviously, we would like to win one more, but maybe we just want to have a guy to sit for a couple of years. So when Brady retires, uh, we get someone where we can just kind of keep this thing rolling. Like I, maybe I, I, I don't know if, if Trey Lance would be a guy to fall that far or what. But, you know, the Bucks have so many options this offseason. I think that, you know, that's kind of like what the security of a quarterback gives you. Like you, you can just kind of explore whatever you want your offseason to be in. Uh, you know, I, I'm not sure like what free agency, what free agency decisions they're going to make regarding Chris Godwin and Shaq Barrett, but it, it's just a really great time to be a Bucks fan. And if you're Jason Lick, like, or Jason like I don't know how to pronounce his last name, uh, then you you've just got to be, you've got to be feeling like king of the mountain right now. Speaking of, of Jason Lichter, like whatever it is, like <laughs> it's so weird that he's a bad GM, but the the Bucks roster is like amazing. Like, I don't know how to reconcile that because he is like he makes mistakes every offseason. Like he hands out bad deals. He drafts kickers twice. He's drafted two kickers. And I don't know. It just somehow all fell into place for him. But I, it's it's still the Chiefs for me. 
Like, I don't care. It's like, they might lose some guys, but Patrick Mahomes is still there. So it's still the Chiefs for me. And I think the Ravens have a chance to close the gap on the Chiefs this offseason. Because I do think the Chiefs are going to take a step back. And the Ravens, maybe if they make some smart moves and get a receiver or two for Lamar Jackson, I, I think that changes a lot for them. All right. I think that's all we got. I, I think after that, that Super Bowl... Man, just uh, dramatic in so many ways. Just I'm done. Not, not even a good game. Not even. Just it's just not even fun, really. I, mean, I guess it was if you were a Bucks fan, but like it was not fun football, right? A lot of people I knew turned it off. Like just yeah, it was a bad. It was a disappointing game. Uh, I think it was. It's going to be fun to look back on how the Bucks stopped the Chiefs' offense, even though a lot of it is just going to be the offensive line got whipped. But I think that's the only thing that we can really take away from that and the crazy plays that Patrick Mahomes almost made. Right. Uh, I think we're going to take maybe the uh, – we'll, we'll have a little hiatus as we dig through this game and try to figure out what happened. Uh, so probably we'll not have a show later this week, but be back early next week. Uh, Steven always reviews the film very closely. I'm sure we'll get Charles's thoughts on what he sees too. And we'll come up with, uh, we always do sort of a, how the game was actually won post. And, uh, you know, like Steven just said, our fear is that it's, it's not going to be much more extensive than this uh, overwhelming performance by the Tampa Bay defense, which is obviously at least in part enabled by, injuries for the chiefs but we'll see what the film actually shows it should drop in a little bit here the uh the all 22 and start digging into that uh hit us up on, on for the win there are tons of posts over there everything you need uh the a post just went up that is really fun showing all the different photo uh, angles of those Mahomes throws, so the, a couple of the different throws but in particular the one where he I mean he's literally like diving shoulder first and throwing the ball 30 yards in the air with his his shoulder is below his feet and he is somehow making that throw happen it's uh just never seen anything like i mean maybe like a short a baseball shortstop has done something like that before but but uh this is just amazing 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 set of photos uh we'll have a bunch of other breakdowns there of, of sort of what we've seen and, and all the all the news updates from the aftermath of this game. Uh, we're also over on Twitter. Charles is at four verts, Steven at the Steven Ruiz at Chris Corman. Uh, so we'd love to talk to you there and uh, thanks for joining us. And we'll talk to you next time. Take care. The counter an NFL podcast from USA today sports. <laughs> 